Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel. Honestly, you don't want to be taking generic legal advice from a YouTube channel or podcast in any event. On with the show. Good morning and welcome to another Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing partner of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're going to do a Virtual Legality Sports Edition. Uh, For those of you who don't necessarily follow the channel or don't pop in here very often, I do occasionally do sports-related content. I like watching sports, in particular my Michigan Wolverines uh, and their football and basketball programs. Uh, But yesterday, uh, there was a major story in the world of sports, and as per usual, I like to take those stories and take a look at them from a kind of different perspective. In this case, looking at the business ramifications of the news, as well as the contracts that are related to the news. So without further ado, let's take a look at the big story of yesterday, which was that Zion Williamson of the Duke Blue Devils wrecked his shoe and also maybe his leg. Uh, This article that I'm reading from and the video that I'm showing right now on my YouTube channel uh, is from Deadspin, and it shows Zion Williamson. uh, And if you're not familiar with college basketball uh, or with college sports uh, in general, the Duke Blue Devils, as of last night, were the number one ranked team in the country. And Zion Williamson was the lead star player of that number one team in the country. He's probably one of the best prospects to come out of the NCAA since uh, LeBron James uh, and uh, the, the era in which people weren't required to essentially spend a year doing college basketball. And so he is uh, shown here on this video uh, taking a cut uh, in the uh, top of the key and having his left shoe essentially explode, cut apart at the seams, uh, and that explosion in the shoe uh, wound up having, uh, having a ramification for his knee. Uh, now, as it would turn out, Uh, Later on in the day, it would be determined that his knee was only mildly sprained uh, as opposed to something much, much worse. Uh, But the fact remains uh, that the shoe shouldn't do that. Uh, And certainly watching this video of it just kind of coming apart and separating and him losing leverage on that leg uh, is terrifying for him. Absolutely. Very bad for the the Duke Blue Devils and their their future, their future potential tournament uh, implications, Um, but also very bad for Uh, Nike, uh, who is the exclusive provider of sports apparel to the Duke Blue Devils basketball program, uh, and who saw their name used in a manner in which they were very much probably not happy uh, last night and today uh, in talking about this shoe exploding and hurting the the best basketball prospect in the country. So let's take a look at the article and what it says here, and we're also going to look at some other articles on ESPN and on MarketWatch to talk about Uh, how Nike is uh, related to this, and then also to talk about what that contract looks like between Nike and Duke, and what, if any, kind of liability or obligations uh, Nike might have to Duke or to Zion Williamson. Uh, And as we'll see as we go through this, uh, the answer is probably not much, uh, and that's certainly another kind of strike 
on uh, the face of really talking about NCAA sports and, and these athletes uh, that do essentially all this work on the, on the sports level for these million-dollar programs, for these million-dollar TV contracts, don't receive pay themselves and are potentially left kind of holding the bag when something like this happens in shoes that they are, that they are made to wear under the contracts that their schools have signed. Uh, unfortunately, for this video, we don't actually have the Duke contract because Duke is a private institution, uh, and I certainly wasn't able to find it online. But we do have uh, their opponents in this game's contract, the the North Carolina Tar Heels, uh, because they are a public university, and so they have to disclose their contract. So we're going to take a look at that Nike contract that the University of North Carolina has entered into to just kind of talk about it, how it's structured, what the kind of obligations are, and why I think in all likelihood, uh, if Zion Williamson, if we imagine a hypothetical in which he were severely hurt or that he never had a career because of this uh, happening, because the shoe had exploded, why perhaps he could get some recompense, but probably not what he would be looking for for the hundreds of millions of dollars that he could have earned uh, in the NBA uh, and through sponsorships, etc. Um, so taking a look at this article, it starts, well, this is weird as hell. Less than a minute into the much-hyped matchup between UNC, North Carolina, and Duke, Zion Williamson appeared to hurt his leg when he tried to plant while he was dribbling. It's the right leg that got injured, but the left shoe may have gotten the worst of it as Williamson's foot just destroyed it as he went down. He'd limped to the locker room afterwards. And that's the usual kind of uh, dead spin, casual, uh, journalistic side of things in terms of describing what had happened uh, last night. Uh, ESPN takes a little bit more uh, genteel, objective approach, but it says Duke freshman sensation Zion Williamson was forced out of Wednesday night's game against rival North Carolina after just 36 seconds with what Blue Devils coach Mike Krzyzewski called a mild knee sprain. Williamson grabbed his right knee in pain after slipping awkwardly and falling when his left Nike basketball shoe fell apart as he planted hard while dribbling near the free throw line on the opening play. The blue rubber sole ripped loose from the white shoe from the heel to the toes along the outside edge, with Williamson's foot coming all the way through the large gap. He walked off with a slight limp, but under his own power before heading back to the locker room with no shoes on his feet. I was right there and I didn't really see what happened, said fellow Duke freshman Trey Jones, who was next to Williamson on the court at the time of the injury. I just thought he'd twisted his ankle or his knee, but when he took his shoes off, I thought maybe something else was going on. Indeed, former President Barack Obama, sitting alongside the baseline near the Duke bench, this was a big game, y'all, shouted out encouragement to Williamson as he left the coat, as he left the court. Uh, and so that's the, the kind of primary story of what happened here. The best player in America, the best college basketball player in America, his shoe explodes. The knee that is compensating for that shoe explosion essentially buckles. He gets a sprain. And, and all that's been said so far from Duke's side of things is that he has a mild sprain and, and we hope he's okay. Um, the ESPN article goes on and says Duke is four years into a 12-year deal with Nike as the exclusive supplier of uniforms, shoes, and apparel. What's usually called by Nike in the various places that I could spot it on the internet, an all-sports contract. And we're going to talk about what that means, what that looks like, because obviously if you followed this channel, if you followed me, you know I find contracts fascinating. And there's a lot to, to look at, a lot to think about as to how these relationships work in those contracts, and I think it's pretty illuminating. Uh, the private school didn't disclose terms of the 2015 contract extension. Nike has had an exclusive deal with the university since 1992. And here's Nike's statement on the issue. We are obviously concerned and want to wish Zion a speedy recovery, Nike said in a statement. 
The quality and performance of our products are of utmost importance. While this is an isolated occurrence, we are working to identify the issue. And you better believe that they are. Uh, because what they negotiated for, the reason they sign these massive multi-million dollar deals with these schools, the reason they supply millions and millions of dollars of shoes and apparel and balls and training equipment to these schools is so that they can have their name represented by these schools on national broadcast so that people can say Nike so that they can see the Nike swoosh on the uniforms while you're watching North Carolina, while you're watching Duke. And this is pretty much the worst case scenario for a marketing deal of that type. You've essentially paid millions of dollars to make sure that your name is associated with a program and then your product essentially explodes on national television on probably what winds up being one of the most watched college basketball games of the year. Uh, and, it, and it explodes and it is referenced in every article talking about this because along the way, it also injured the best player in America. If you were trying to kind of uh, thought experiment out the various things that could happen uh, badly under a contract, if you're the lawyer for Nike and you're saying, all right, what, what kind of bad things can happen? The parade of horribles that can occur in a relationship like this. Injuring the best player in America while your shoe explodes is probably pretty high on the list. And so as you would expect, as we go over to this Market Watch article talking about Nike, uh, we see investors express their disappointment in Nike with shares trading down about 2% in Thursday's pre-market action. The stock is up more than 14% this year. If those of you who don't follow stocks very often, don't follow Nike, don't follow sports very often, uh, they had a lot of success and a lot of financial exposure uh, with their uh, Colin Kaepernick ads uh, last year. And that really uh, caught on with a lot of people. They had a lot of sales that were related to those. And so their, uh, their financials and their stock price has been up uh, for a good long while now. Uh, the stock is up more than 14% this year and up almost 26% over the past 12 months. Uh, so this 2% loss is, is probably pretty minor, but that's also in pre-market activity. Uh, they also said that they're having trouble in this article. It also references that their, their Nike Adapt BB laceless sneakers, the things that look a little bit like um, the sneakers from Back to the Future 2 that Marty McFly wears in uh, the far off distant future year of 2015, uh, in which the, uh, the Cubs also win the World Series. Um, that these shoes are also having trouble, especially as they interact with the Google and Android side of things. Uh, and so whenever you're looking at stock market news, whenever you're looking at these kinds of issues, it's always easy to look with hindsight as to what might have caused a reduction or what might have caused an increase in the stock price. But a lot of the time, these are trying to put a narrative on things that are just multifaceted and very difficult to, to piece apart. So this article does a good job of saying, hey, yeah, it's down 2%. Uh, because of this, maybe, but it's also because they have this other kind of primary product that they're putting out there with marketing initiatives, and it's maybe not working as well as they would hope. Uh, and so you do have this situation where on national TV, they blew up one of the best players in the country's legs uh, by having their shoe explode, uh, and now they might be reaping at least a minor whirlwind with that. We talk about 2%, and that might sound like a very small number, uh, but Nike is a very, very large company with a very large market capitalization. And so whenever you're talking about, you know, really more than 1%, really any kind of integer level percentage of either going up or down, you're really talking about a lot of money. You're talking about a lot of cost differences. Uh, and certainly uh, this is one of those cases. Um, so with that all being said, I did want to dive into what a contract with a university and Nike actually looks like, because I think those are tremendously interesting uh, and I do like to talk about contracts uh, on this channel. Uh, and so what we're looking at here 
is the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. That's UNC. Those are the Tar Heels that we know and love. An all-sport agreement. And as we look at this document, I'm going to try to skim through it mostly because I don't think anybody's interested in a three-hour deep dive into each term as I might do when I'm doing a contract review or revising language uh, for a client of my own. I'm going to skim this, but I'm going to try to highlight the the major issues uh, of what we're talking about. So uh, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill is is defined as university. So whenever we look at this document and we see the word university, that means UNC. That means the Tar Heels. Uh, And the company at issue here, Nike USA, which is the arm that is going to supply these uh, shoes and this sports apparel, is referred to just as Nike. So it's pretty easy. It's a pretty easy document to kind of understand on the top. But whenever you're looking at a contract, whenever you're trying to interpret one of these things, you really want to pay attention whenever there are these parentheticals and capitalized words, because essentially that's taking something in the contract and making it something else. So UNC is university, Nike is Nike, and we can go on and look further in the document with that in the back of our heads as to how to interpret what's happening here. So it says, in the witnesseth, which is kind of an old school way of saying recitals. These are these are the things that are used at the front end of a contract to really describe what this whole contract is about. Why are the parties entering into this thing right now? What does it mean? It's very useful, especially for uh, lawyers or business folks who are trying to look at something three years down the line, five years down the line, where they say, all right, I'm trying to identify which agreement we're even talking about because there's issue X or there's issue Y. Uh, what is this agreement? What does it do? And we can look at these. These recitals are kind of short for that purpose. Uh, but we can look at these and say, all right, this is what this agreement does. And we can dive into the terms from there. And so this says, whereas university fields and maintains nationally recognized athletic teams in numerous sports and owns all right and title in and to certain names, nicknames, mascots, trademarks, service marks, logo graphics, and or symbols, and other related references to university or its intercollegiate athletic programs. That's the first part of the recital. So it's basically saying, whereas the Tar Heels have some sports and they own the trademarks and coloration and the trade dress of those sports, and whereas Nike is a sports and fitness company engaged in the manufacture, distribution, and sale of athletic and athleisure footwear, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So whereas the Tar Heels have sports teams and whereas Nike supplies sports clothes and shoes, whereas they entered into an agreement back in 2008 and where they intend to replace that agreement, now, therefore, here's this agreement that we're going to talk about. So in that context, all this basically says is everything that you already know. North Carolina has sports teams. Nike makes shoes. They had an agreement in 2008 that they are essentially uh, amending and restating, but they're doing it in the form of a new agreement here in 2018. The actual date of this agreement, which you would see on the signature lines, which we're not going to scroll to right now, is June 29th, 2018. So this is very current. Um, is... Uh, is all that we can really take from the first page. The first section of this agreement now is definitions. And we're actually going to skip this section. If you're in law school, if you're a a pre-law undergraduate, uh, if you are an early stage lawyer, don't skip definitions. These are very, very important. And certainly when you're negotiating contracts or when you're trying to understand the full depth of what the contract terms are, it's very important to understand what's in the definitions. Uh, Not the least of which because unscrupulous attorneys or uh, or just people trying to walk the line between the, the gray area, between light and dark, uh, can put sneaky things in definitions, can make a defined term slightly different than what you think it should be. And so when you're reading the sentence in the operative provisions later in the agreement, it's very important to know what the definitions say. But for our purposes, uh, I did look at these in advance of this video. Uh, they're okay. There's nothing tricky in here. And so we can skip them for the most part and really talk about the operative provisions here. So you see definitions are a number of pages. 
And this is where, you know, some of the lawyers get paid their money. Uh, we get to section two. We see the term goes through June 30th, 2028. So it's designed to be a 10-year contract. And then we get to section three, which is really where we start to talk about what's happening here, the rights that are being exchanged. What does it mean to have a shoe contract between a university and between Nike? And so 3A says uh, university is granting to Nike these rights and privileges. And the first one is the designation for Nike as the exclusive supplier of the athletic footwear, apparel, and accessory products of each intercollegiate athletic program. And it goes on to legalese this. It goes on to describe this uh, a number of times and in different kind of designations to try to cover all the various variations that could happen for what you want to say here. But 3A essentially says, okay, the, one of the things we're definitely giving Nike if we're UNC is you get to call yourselves our exclusive supplier. You get to go out with that in marketing and you get to call yourselves that. That's important for Nike. Nike wants to be affiliated with the success of the UNC Tar Heels, especially their basketball program. And so the university grants Nike this right. You get to 3B and it essentially says it also grants Nike the right to use university marks. So the, the logos, the coloration, the, the UNC name, the Tar Heels name coach properties, which is kind of the likenesses of the various coaches that uh, are involved in the UNC program, uh, other kinds of trademarks, intellectual property rights, but in very specific uh, manner. They are allowed, Nike's allowed to use it in connection with the advertising, marketing, and promotion of products and Nike brands. So you don't just get to go and make a UNC computer game. You don't get to go make uh, UNC Monopoly. The university is retaining all those rights. But in very specific circumstances, when you're trying to sell Nike shoes, when you're trying to sell Nike shirts, Nike athletic wear, you can use the North Carolina name uh, to do that. You can use the North Carolina colors to do that. You can use them in your products. You can sell North Carolina branded apparel um, for that purpose. And it goes on for a couple pages here to really describe, hey, okay, if the university owns certain picture rights, then you'll let us use the picture rights on our website, things like that. Um, and you, re you really have to go through it for a couple of pages um, to really kind of define all the myriad different ways that that intellectual property could be used. But section three is basically the university says, hey, Nike, you can call yourselves our exclusive supplier. You can market yourselves using our uh, intellectual property. Uh, and now we get on to section four. And section four is where we're really going to start talking about what's happening here with respect to the shoes, with respect to the clothes. And, and Zion Williamson, who you'll note, is not a party to this contract. Uh, the, the team players aren't a party to the contract here. And that makes sense. It would be impossible to really negotiate uh, with all of the athletes that are on these schools' teams, especially since they rotate out. Uh, every four years, if you're lucky, Zion Williamson is definitely a, a one and done, uh, as they say in sports, because he's that good. Um, but he's not a party to this contract. So uh, one of the things that happens here is that Nike is going to absolve itself of liability for problems that it has uh, with its shoes in particular, but also with any of its other apparel. And uh, there's really nothing that Zion Williamson or any other team member can do about that. They would still maintain their claims potentially against Nike and against the North Carolina, uh, but not necessarily under this contract. And we're going to see that um, with one specific caveat for Nike's potential negligence. And we're also going to talk about that term. Um, so 4A basically says, and this is one of the big benefits uh, that you get from entering into this Nike contract in partial consideration for the rights granted under this agreement. And those rights granted are the ones we just described, which is that uh, Nike can use the North Carolina name. Nike is going to be uh, broadcast as affiliated with North Carolina. They're going to be named as the exclusive supplier of North Carolina apparel. In consideration for those rights, each contract year, 
Nike shall supply to university Nike products up to the dollar amount set opposite the indicated contract year. And for those of you listening to this on the podcast, you can't see this table. Uh, But in short, it basically says every year in the next 10 years, Nike is going to give North Carolina, that's supply. Now, if I were the lawyer here, I'd probably want some clarity here to say supply at no additional cost to university. But I think that is implied by what's happening here, uh, that they're going to supply $5 million roughly of product to the university every single year. And that's in shoes, that's in apparel, that's in training equipment, that's in balls, uh, and and things like that, as well as some bonus kind of items. Uh, And that number fluctuates uh, between the years. There's 4.9, there's 4.5, there's 5.1, there's 5.3, but it's roughly $5 million uh, per year. Presumably those fluctuations uh, relate to things like the football team uh, getting one every couple years or every five years or something along those lines. Football team, obviously, at any school being uh, one of the more expensive teams uh, to provide goods for just because of their size. Uh, You've got 80-some-odd scholarship players, and you've got walk-ons, and you've got a number of other folks affiliated with the program on the football side versus a basketball team that is basically going to be something like 15 players plus uh, plus walk-ons and things like that. So a football team is always going to be driving these numbers, and in all likelihood, some of the fluctuation you see here in terms of going up and going down uh, relates to when the football team is anticipated to be supplied or when North Carolina thinks that football team is going to need those supplies. Um, so you see Nike says, all right, you get all these products, and then you have pages and pages that says, okay, you're going to be able to determine the styles of the products that you want. Uh, if you order a certain amount of products, you're going to get uh, some for free uh, and going on so forth and so on throughout the agreement uh, until we get to 4D. And this is the only real provision in this entire agreement that discusses the Zion Williamson situation or any situation like it. I don't mean to limit it to uh, the Zion, Williams situa- Zion Williamson situation uh, entirely because this would apply in any other circumstance where something like that happened. 4D says specifically, and I'm not going to take any kind of liberties here. I'm just going to read it from the contract. Nike shall not be liable to university, any team member, coach, or staff for any injury or damage suffered from wearing or using Nike products except such injury or damage resulting from Nike's negligence. That's the first sentence of this section. So let's break that down a little bit. It says, Nike shall not be liable to the University of North Carolina, any team member, that's the Zion Williamson uh, scenario in this case, coach or staff, for any injury related to wearing Nike products, except related to Nike's negligence. Um, so again, one thing I want to give a caveat here as well in talking about this particular contract is this is not the Duke contract. Uh, and while Nike has, uh, forms looking online, you can look up all sports contract. You can find ones with a number of teams, including my Michigan Wolverines, North Carolina here. There are a number available for public universities that have to make them public under their state's statutory code. Uh, and there is definitely a format that Nike prefers and that Nike offers to these schools. There is areas to negotiate on these things. North Carolina, we saw above while we were scrolling through, has certain discounts in terms of ordering above their allotment that they can get for uh, football gloves and things of that nature that were clearly negotiated and important to their athletic director, to the council for the university when they were negotiating this contract that aren't replicated in places like the Michigan contract. And so there are areas where you can negotiate these things, and there's no guarantee 
that a section that we're reading like this one, like 4D, appears exactly in this way in the Duke contract. Duke could have negotiated something else with Nike. I will say, when talking about liability, that is one of those areas where major companies, major multinational institutions are going to have set rules that their negotiators are going to generally follow. They're not going to generally allow liability here. You can see in this contract, it's very pro-North Carolina. North Carolina has gotten some benefits that maybe other schools didn't. And still 4D exists to say, hey, we make shoes, but we're not going to potentially be liable for the Zion Williamson's of the world's $200 million uh, career because this isn't a $200 million contract for us. And we need to make sure that our exposure risks are known when we put them on the books. And so we're going to say, hey, we're not liable for that. Now, there is an exception here, which maybe was negotiated specifically by North Carolina, maybe is the Nike form. I couldn't find a provision like this identical in some of the other contracts I looked at, but I didn't look at all of the contracts that were available online. And that exception says, except such injury or damage resulting from Nike's negligence. Now, negligence is an interesting word. It has many different meanings depending on the context and depending on the state law that's applied. Um, but one thing that we can talk about just kind of generically, and this is exactly the kind of discussion you would have in law school, is what the kind of black letter meaning of negligence is. And black letter basically means in general terms, without looking at state statutes, when we say negligence, what are we talking about? And so we do go to the law dictionary, dictionary.org, which talks about Black's Law Dictionary's definition, and the definition for negligence is as follows. Failure by action, behavior, or response, willful or not, to maintain the expected care required from a reasonable, prudent person under the circumstances. Now, that's a lot of lawyer talk, but we can break it down pretty easily. It says failure by action, behavior, response, uh, which means essentially you did something wrong, willful or not. So negligence, as you might imagine, if you've heard it in other contexts or you've thought about the concept of negligence, it doesn't require willful intent. Negligence, when we talk about it in contract law, when we talk about it uh, in various contexts uh, in, in outside of the law, means essentially accidents. We have, we have willful misconduct and we have negligence. Uh, and negligence is the accident side of the spectrum. And it says, what does it mean to be to have an accident? What does it mean to be negligent in this circumstance? It means you failed to maintain the expected care required from a reasonable person under the circumstances. In this case, you provided a shoe to a person that was expected to play basketball in it, and it exploded. When we When we look at that, when we talk about that, there is a reasonable case to be made that, hey, maybe that's negligence on its face. If your shoe explodes when somebody's using it as intended, they're wearing it on their feet, they're playing basketball with it, if it explodes, maybe the case can be made that that's negligence uh, on its face because shoes shouldn't explode. But part of the argument here, if you're Nike, if you don't want to pay money, if you're, if you're trying to get out of this, if you're trying to apply this section that says, hey, we're not generally liable, might be to say, well... We are not negligent because the only way you can manufacture shoes is that they have a one in one million chance of exploding like this. Uh, and everybody accepts that as a reasonable uh, amount of ability to prevent shoes from exploding. And so even though it had happened in this circumstance and even though it happened to the best player in the world in this circumstance, uh, it's not really negligence because it's built into the manufacturing process. And, it's, uh, and it was within reasonable levels of what one can expect. These are the kinds of arguments that you might hear 
in particular, if Zion Williamson's career were over and he was looking for a $200 million payday from someone from somewhere. Fortunately, that doesn't appear to be the case. So we're mostly talking in hypotheticals. Obviously, we're already talking about hypotheticals because this is the North Carolina agreement and not the Duke agreement. But these are the arguments that you start to get. And you can kind of play this mental experiment, this kind of brain game with yourself to say, okay, he wants to say it's negligent because his shoe exploded. That's probably a pretty good kind of opening gambit. Nike wants to say it's not negligent because these things happen. Uh, And uh, certainly Zion Williamson is putting forces on his shoes that are maybe more than you could expect from a normal person wearing these shoes. And so maybe uh, it's beyond the bounds of what's even anticipated for the forces that should be applied to these shoes. And then you might have an argument from Duke and from Zion Williamson that says, yeah, okay, that's fine. But you know you're providing shoes to high-class athletes, the best athletes in the world. And so it shouldn't be unusual and it shouldn't be outside the realm of reasonable expectations for you to supply shoes that don't explode when someone's making a cut in the key uh, in the first play of the basketball game. And so you can see these kinds of developing and going on from there and really having this argument about what negligence is. Unfortunately, sitting here, sitting on a video or or a podcast talking about these things, this is not something that can be simply answered uh, from anyone, even from a lawyer that was representing Nike or that was representing North Carolina or that was representing Duke or Zion Williamson. Uh, This is something that would probably need to be adjudicated. And it's within those gray areas that really settlements live. When you see that 90%, 95% of all cases get settled, it's because mostly they relate to things like negligence. And a reasonable party could say Nike's negligent and a reasonable party could say that they're not. And if there's enough money on the line, then it makes sense to say, okay, let's not bet $200 million if you're Nike. Let's pay somebody $50 million because we don't know whether we're going to win or lose this because a judge is ultimately going to decide it. And if that judge decides it against us and we have to go to appeals, then we're paying lawyers for two, three, five years. And that money's just lost. So let's cut it off at the legs and let's pay some money out. And that's why you see so many settlements is because there are these gray areas. There are these ambiguities in the law that are kind of built in so that parties can uh, determine exactly what their exposure is. Um, This section 4D goes on to be even kind of harsher in terms of protecting Nike from liability. And it says Nike specifically disclaims all express warranties. Uh, And express warranties would be those warranties that you might see that came in your box of shoes, that came in uh, your computer game, that came in uh, the mechanical device that you bought to put in your kitchen that says this machine, uh, this piece of equipment, this software will do X, Y, and Z. It will perform to specification X uh, as long as you don't keep it in a 30-degree container. It will do uh, what you have paid for it to do. And... They're disclaiming all express warranties. They're also disclaiming all implied warranties of merchantability and fitness for a particular purpose. Uh, Implied warranties are essentially creatures of common law. They are warranties that were applied to people that were selling products into the marketplace if there isn't an existing written warranty that said, in this case, merchantability, that it will be good to be sold, that it's not somehow flawed, uh, that it won't explode if you try to use it the first time. And fitness for a particular purpose was an implied warranty that said, hey, if I know that you are going to use this tool to do something, uh, then it's an implied warranty that it will do that something. Uh, And so they disclaim those things. Now, certainly the disclaimers here are normal. uh, And if I were representing Nike, I would say that that's exactly what you'd be looking for. uh, But it doesn't help uh, the Zion Williamson's of the world uh, when they're looking at people to sue. 
Now, again, this contract is between Nike and the university, so all it really says is that Nike won't be liable to the university. The team member isn't actually a signatory to this agreement, so you start to get into issues about whether the team players have actually waived their rights in this case, uh, but we don't know what they are being asked to sign or otherwise waive in order to in order to earn their scholarships uh, and in order to be compliant uh, with their Nike agreements or with any other agreements that the university might have entered into with respect to their student athletes. So that's another kind of layer of things to unwind as to whether Zion Williamson could sue anybody, uh, including his own university. Uh, but that's really the crux of the issue in the agreement and what I wanted to talk about mostly. I also want to talk about some of the other sections just to talk about what the rest of this agreement does pretty quickly. Uh, if we look at section five, Nike is obligating the coaches uh, of the teams to essentially make appearances on its behalf. If we look at section six, Nike's asking for essentially the perks. Uh, these are tickets to tournament games. We see here a chart of they'll get one press box pass and 10 VIP tickets and two sideline passes to football games. 10 tickets to football bowl or playoff games, 12 tickets to NCAA basketball tournaments uh, for men's and women's, et cetera, et cetera, and lists of tickets, uh, lists of their appearance in the media guide for these schools. These are the kind of perks that are still important to Nike to be affiliated with the university and with the intercollegiate athletic programs in this manner, but aren't necessarily driving the agreement. The drive of the agreement is the Nike name is going to be known, uh, and from the UNC side, we're going to get uh, money and we're going to get uh, products. But we haven't actually gotten to the money yet. As you'll note, it's kind of far down the list here. But I did want to point out Section 7, uh, which is the use of Nike products. And this is where it's mandatory for these team members who we've already talked about having limited um, liability avenues to go get money from Nike, where they're mandated to essentially use this stuff. And it says, except as otherwise provided elsewhere in this agreement, universities shall require all coaches and team and staff members to wear and or use exclusively Nike products during such activities. And, and that refers to the previous sentence, which talks about uh, intercollegiate athletic program activities, games. Uh, and also to make sure, as we look further in this section, that the, uh, the Nike logo won't be removed, won't be polished out, taped over, uh, altered the appearance of. Nike wants to make sure that their name is known and affiliated with this company. That's what they bought. That's why this is important to them. And that's why something like last night is such an interesting kind of analysis of when a contract, when a relationship goes wrong. Uh, because Nike having this affiliation, Nike shoe exploding, Nike making sure that no team member, that no coach, that no staff could tape over or otherwise prohibit somebody from seeing the, the Nike logo as loudly and as big as possible, uh, that that is, in effect, a, a negative marketing component. Nobody wants to be the shoe that exploded the knee of the best player uh, in the country. And so uh, that's really an interesting part of this, that it was mandated to be used. Uh, there are some exceptions here, uh, if we scroll back up, uh, that if you've got a medical condition that you're essentially allowed to uh, wear something else, it says in the event any team member is unable to wear Nike footwear, Due to a bona fide medical condition as evidenced by a certification by the team's physician, such team members shall be permitted to wear non-Nike footwear provided all visible manufacturer's identification is taped over or otherwise covered so as to completely obscure such manufacturer's identification and provided that universities shall give Nike reasonable notice of the problem and an opportunity to work with the team member to find a Nike footwear product that is suitable. In other words, whatever brand of Nike footwear uh, is being provided to the team maybe doesn't fit some unique aspect of a player's feet, 
uh, and can get a, a team physician to say, hey, this just doesn't work for them. The arch isn't right, whatever it is. Uh, and so Nike can say, okay, you can wear your Reeboks or your Pumas or whatever else you're going to wear, but you have to cover all that up. It has to be essentially a black shoe uh, because we're, uh, we're providing the footwear here and it's a Nike team. Uh, and they also have to say, hey, you have to work with us in the future to try to find something that will work for you. Uh, and so it's mandatory unless you can get essentially a doctor's note. Interestingly enough, you might think, okay, well, maybe Zion Williamson doesn't have to wear Nike shoes after this all happens if he comes back this season. You know, you read this as a lawyer and you say, well, that's not exactly right. So his his shoe exploded, but there's really no indication that he's unable to wear it uh, on his feet due to a medical condition. The knee isn't really touching the shoe. So if he came back uh, and if he's fine in the next game or in the next five games, I don't see any reason here in this specific contractual provision why he would be permitted to not wear Nike shoes, uh, which is an interesting side point to that. I do think if he were to uh, demonstrate that he doesn't want to wear the Nike shoes, uh, potentially have press conferences or otherwise respond to media inquiries saying he doesn't want to wear the Nike shoes, I think Nike uh, would be uh, silly to not allow him to wear something else and to just not talk about the Nike issue because that's doing more harm to them if he essentially says, I'm not happy with uh, what I'm wearing. Uh, But... In the actual contract language itself, there isn't anything to suggest that something like potentially blowing out your knee because the opposite foot's shoe explodes uh, is a bonafide medical condition with respect to your feet in the shoes themselves when they're not exploding. Uh, So you do have those circumstances. We get to Section 8. We actually see the exchange of dollars here. Not only does Nike provide all those products uh, to the North Carolina teams, uh, they also uh, pay money. And in this case, it's about... $3.25 $3.25 million per year until you get to the back two years of the contract where it jumps up to $4 million. They get an advance. North Carolina gets an advance of $8 million on that amount for the first couple of years. Uh, and then they also just get a bonus amount of $1.5 million for what is described as a one-time recommitment bonus. If you remember from the recitals to this agreement, this had already been a relationship that was entered into into 2008. And so now this is a recommitment. You're getting $1.5 million because, hey, you went with Nike, you didn't go to Under Armour, you didn't go somewhere else, and we like that about you. So we're going to give you this $1.5 million. Um, going a little bit further here, uh, we, we see advertising approvals. We see descriptions of new logos. If you're familiar with sports at all, you know that uh, Nike and everybody else uh, kind of takes the opportunity every couple of years to potentially um, uh, change up the uniform stylings, the logo usage of these teams. This is a section that talks about that, that talks about, hey, every once in a while, we'll use our design team to figure out uh, some potentially new marks, some potentially new uniform designs, uh, if you want to work with us on those, because that essentially helps us sell things. Uh, From the Nike perspective, if there are multiple different uniform variations, if there are multiple different uh, styles that people think look cool, that's more for them to sell. Uh, And that's good for them. From the North Carolina side, it's potentially good for them because kids think it's cool. You're trying to recruit kids. uh, And if you can get some really cool designs that Nike came up with, that's potentially a a boon to your university. Section 11 talks about a right of first negotiation and first refusal, which is essentially that the university gives Nike the right to uh, the first seat at the table to renegotiate when this term is up. Uh, There are additional products in Section 12. And then in Section 13, we talk about right of termination. Uh, And the university has the right to terminate, if we look at C here, if Nike is in material breach of this agreement, which breach Nike fails to cure within 30 days of Nike's receipt of written notice from university specifying such breach. So this is another interesting hypothetical area where we could imagine, hey, 
okay, if this provision uh, that we looked at before, Section 4D, uh, that talks about uh, you're not liable unless you're negligent, uh, and so if you are negligent, you probably are liable and you could owe uh, Zion or you could owe Duke that money. If you failed to pay and we believe you're negligent, can we just say that you're in breach of the agreement if you don't pay within 30 days? And what does that mean? And what kind of lawsuit erupts from there? Those are the kinds of things that if the parties were interested in examining their relationship and if Duke or Zion or both uh, were really upset at Nike and they had this agreement, again, we're looking at the North Carolina agreement, uh, then maybe they could say, hey, all right, we're not interested in working with Nike anymore because Nike should have done right by Zion. They should have done something that we asked for in connection with that 4D liability because they were clearly negligent because the shoe exploded and they didn't do that. And so we're going to look at potentially terminating the agreement. Uh, and maybe they would win that. Maybe they wouldn't. These are the kinds of things that do result in lawsuits because there's millions of, millions of dollars on the line. It's enough to essentially afford the lawyers to adjudicate them for you. And again, you don't know who's going to win. That same reason that you don't know whether Nike owes the money because you don't, you can't quite tell just sitting here whether they were negligent and their shoe exploding is the same reason that you can't quite tell whether North Carolina or Duke or whoever has a contract like this one would be justified in terminating the agreement because you can't establish that a breach has actually occurred unless you go through and adjudicate the thing and demand letters are sent and lawyers are paid. And so this is one of those interesting areas of contract law where you say, okay, yeah, you can hire a, con a lawyer like me to look at the contract for you and say, hey, what are my rights? And this is the kind of conversation that I would wind up having with somebody like North Carolina or Duke or Zion or anybody else and say, okay, here's the landscape. Here's the provisions that matter to you. It's 4D on liability. It's 13C on breach of contract. It's uh, the mandatory use uh, that is being applied to you. So you didn't even have a choice. And so maybe a negligence standard should be higher because, my God, you have to wear these shoes and you're not even getting uh, permission to not wear them unless you have a medical condition. So you can make these cases, you can tell the client, you can tell anybody that you're looking at the contract for these particular things. But at the end of the day, and this is the reason that lawyers get a bad rap, they say, all right, well, am I going to win that case? And I have to say, I don't know. It depends on the judge. It depends on uh, the other kinds of conversations that have been happening, what kind of conversations Nike might have had. If we get kind of into a discovery scenario, whether or not they've had uh, discussions with their manufacturer where this is a known problem, there are a number of things that could change up whether you're likely to win or not. And so the, the conversations you always have with the client at the front end are, okay, here's the situation. Here's the structure. What do you want to do? Here's kind of a risk profile. Here's your exposure. Here's your potential gains. And also from my side of things, since I'm a contract lawyer, since I'm writing these things and I'm not litigating them, here's a number of a good litigator to talk to about what they think your, your chances of success are and what their charges would be in order to get you to the finish line to get those successes. And whenever you're talking about huge in institutions like a university or like Nike, you're talking about potentially very expensive litigations because they can't afford to have so many lawyers on the scene. They can't afford to really adjudicate things to the very end of the line. And so that's really what I wanted to talk to you all about today. This is a kind of an unusual virtual legality episode. We did talk about contracts. We did talk about business. We did talk about stock prices. Uh, but not in the area of video games or in software or in information technology where I usually do that, uh, but instead in the nature of sports. But certainly this was uh, on my Twitter feeds. This was in my social media. This was online. I was seeing this news a lot. And I did think that it was an interesting angle to take to look at what a contract between a university and a shoe manufacturer actually entails and what, if anything, there might be in terms of liability, exposure, or ways to get remedies uh, for the Zion Williamsons of the world when something like that happens. Again, fortunately, 
I think based on what uh, Duke tweeted out, what the early reports are, this is not going to be uh, a major significant uh, career-ending injury or anything like that for Zion Williamson. And I think that's good for everybody that likes sports because he really is an amazing athlete and fun to watch. Uh, but it's fun to hypothetically uh, look at what might have happened if it were. If, it, if we really went to the far end and said, okay, his career is over, what are the contractual limits of what could happen now? Uh, and so that's what this was really all about. If you like this video, please do like. Please subscribe. As I mentioned in my last video, uh, by far the best engagement I get on these things is when they are shared among your communities. So if you've got a forum you think is interested in this, if you've got a message board, if you've got Reddit or Tumblr or anywhere else that you post things that you think someone might be interested in this video, please do feel free to share. I love having those interactions. I love having those conversations and discussions. Uh, and I really do get a lot of engagement uh, from you all sharing those in those various avenues that I can't reach because I'm otherwise doing law all day. Uh, so again, uh, please do share, please like, please subscribe. Thank you so very much for watching, and I will see you on the next Virtual Legality.